Hello, and welcome to episode 167 of The Cognicast, a podcast about software and the people who create it. I'm Jarrett Benford. This week, host Robert Randolph talks to Peter Stromberg, aka Pez, about Calva, knife sharpening, prioritizing work, curiosity, user feedback, collaboration, and sponsorships. But before we jump into the episode, I'd like to remind everyone that we are hiring. Check out cognitech.com slash careers.html or reach out to us at jobs at cognitech.com. And now, Peter and Robert. Hello, I'm here with Peter Stromberg. I pronounced that correctly, I assume, I hope. So how are you doing today? How's it going? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic today. I'm so stoked to be on this uh, podcast. I'm pinching my arm a bit <laughs> about it. It's, it's an awesome day. Are you a normal Cognicast listener? Do you check out the podcast frequently? Yeah, every episode, I would say. I haven't li- back listened maybe on all of them before I started uh, listening, but uh, now I'm looking forward to each new episode. So in- introduce yourself a bit. Let's start with what are your hobbies? Yeah. What things do you like to do when you're not developing? Like everybody knows you from Calva. But when you're not yeah. doing that, what do you like to do? Yeah, so so then I guess the, the next thing, uh, major thing, I really like to to code. I mean, that's that has been my hobby uh, all my life. But I have my family. I mean, it's that's that's taking most of my my time and attention. And I'm a father of five, and you know, mm-hmm. so it's it's a lot around that. And we're so happy with with having many kids like that. So it's uh, that is. Maybe not a hobby, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's uh, at least where I spend uh, a lot of my time playing board games and stuff like that with, uh, with them. The second hobby I would say I have is knife sharpening. So uh, I like to sharpen my kitchen knives uh, and kitchen knives for friends as well. It's just like I just like sharpening knives. It's very zen. Yeah, um, sharpening knives <laughs> is awesome. What kind of supplies do you use for knife sharpening? Yeah, so I use uh, like use Japanese whetstones for it, and I use uh, what's called splash-on stones. So I so don't the know the kind if... that you don't have to soak. Exactly. So I yeah. had before I used the uh, soap, and then it was so much planning, and oh, I haven't soaked it. I can't do it right now. So these splash-on are, are awesome, and they also less maintenance because they're much harder. So I don't need to to flatten them as much as with with the other soak stones. Mm-hmm. So, so I have a range of those with different uh, grits, and I have a, like a diamond stone that I flatten them with, and I have made myself a sink bridge. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's yeah. Uh, so, like the bridge where the stone goes across your sink, yeah. Exactly. So, so I can can you? Because it's very dirty, sharp knife. So it's very good to be at the sink doing it, and I just. Saw a tip on, on uh, tips on, on YouTube. So I put together like two pieces of wood, uh, and mm-hmm. just the smaller one is measured so it spans across the, the width of the, the sink. Which I can just squeeze it down. It's very stable when I sharpen the knives because that's I think is the most important thing that you know that things don't move around, so you can have this stable angle sharpening the knives. Guess I'm a bit. It's a bit controversial because I go up you know, fine grit stones and really polish uh, the mm-hmm. edge. And I tell that to some chefs; they, they think I'm crazy because they tell me the tomato doesn't care. So it's it's. I go up to eight thousand grit. Like uh, mm-hmm. I, I won't go up higher, but they those stones are super expensive. But with eight thousand grit, I mean, it's super. Uh, it's like mirror finish on on the edge of the knives. I like I like looking at the knives when they have this mirror finish. 
you mentioned splash on, so I guess you're using uh, Sh- Shapton brand stones. Actually, Shapton. Actually, yeah, yeah. Shapton, Shapton glass. Mm-hmm. And they they seem to be. I haven't replaced any one of them yet, and I haven't had them several years, so it, it, they really last. When you're sharpening knives, are you peculiar about edge geometry, or do, do you have like a specific edge geometry that you like, or is it per knife or per use that you select what you're going to do with the edge? I guess it's a bit per knife, maybe, but I'm, I have my favorite shape. I don't know how it is in the US, but in Sweden, the, the edge is always like V form. It's not this uh, Japanese form where one where you only sharpen one side mm-hmm. of uh, the edge. You sharpen both of them at the same angle. And I go for, I think that like most knives, some people say, okay, this kind of knife can take this sharp angle. But I think most, most of them, to my experience, most of them go. And I also like thin out the blade near, near the, the edge. Because like thinner is better when you cut food. So it's, I would say it's, it's like a thin blade towards the edge and then a sharp angle. I don't know. I haven't measured the angle, but I, 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 when I compare with others, I, I have, mm-hmm. it's a bit sharper with my, my angle when I, than when I see most. And also, I can also see it then when I buy a new knife. They are sharpened at some like standard angle at tw- 15 or something on each yeah, side. 15 is pretty normal, yeah. Yeah, so um, my edge always gets quite much wider. I don't know. The, the side of the edge. More, more acute, like more yeah, narrow. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I can see it on that, that it, it is like maybe not one millimeter when I buy the knife, but then it's like two millimeters when I have, when I have a sharpener. So it's, that tells me that I'm... Sh- it's more acute than 15 degrees, but I don't mm-hmm. know which, which angle I go. Do you, do you like cooking as well? Like you, you like knife sharpening and I understand that because I really <laughs> love knife sharpening. Do you also enjoy cooking? Yes, I enjoy cook, cooking as well. So we cook together, most people in the family. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's, I, that, that is not just for, for weekends, but it's like most days, at least me and my wife, but uh, often more people from the family join in, in the cooking and they all enjoy sharp knives and they tell me when, when I have been sloppy with sharpening them. So yeah, so it's, uh, I, I really enjoy also using the knives. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I haven't been uh, talking to some other knife sharpening nerd in a while. <laughs> so what do you use? Oh, I, I have a lot of stuff. I, I tend to use the Shapton stones myself yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And I use a lot of imported Japanese and Korean knives. Yeah. So. I, I, I like to experiment with the different things and see what works and what doesn't. That, that's part of the fun for me is, you know, just exploring the problem space, you know. Exactly. Finding yeah. Out. yeah. And it's very relaxing. <laughs> that repetitive movement down to keep the same angle to figure out what works and what doesn't. It's, it's, you know, it's a lot like software development, you know, just, yeah. just well, getting in you, the zone. Exactly. Getting, I would have compared to that as well. When you when you get into that zone, it's it's sin. It's yeah. and, and I, sometimes I don't even recall having done it afterwards. It's just like I, I zoom out. So it's, it's it's really really cool. So when it comes to knives, then uh, Korean and uh, Japanese, do you do you like the hard steel things or? Yeah, yeah. I'm a particular fan of blue number two steel. Okay. Um, and I am I'm really picky about cutting boards that I use them with because obviously you know. There's different steel types and some are softer, some are more brittle, but you know, the edge stays longer on the more brittle steels. Yeah. I, I like really hard classic steels. I don't like a lot of the new stainless ultra hard stuff. 
there's new modern steels that are just way better than a lot of the more traditional steels, but I like the hard traditional steels. They're also a lot harder to sharpen. They're more difficult pain in the butt they, to sharpen. And, yeah. I got a, a, a friend who asked me to sharpen his uh, a knife, and I, I was just like, thought it was like any one of my knives, but it was very different. I had to work so much longer for uh, yeah. that science. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then, you know, I have lots of knives, and I just love experimenting with. My wife thinks I'm crazy with all the knives I have, and then I only use like two or three of them in the kitchen. Even though I have, you always yeah. need a new knife. <laughs> I, yeah. agree with you. I, I think anybody who has a hobby relates to it, you know, like. There's just a couple of things that you end up liking and then some, and then you just have a gazillion of other things because you're like, I enjoy this so much. This is so fun. <laughs> so rewinding to what you said before about your hobbies, you said you, you, you love coding. I think a lot of the people listening to this podcast can relate to that. And you also have a, a relatively large family. How do you work in coding in your spare time with managing your family as well? Yeah, uh, so my my family is low maintenance in, in that sense. I don't need to manage it uh, very much. I mean, it's uh, they are uh, super cool, and so it's not so much that it's like a lot of do. It's just like I like spending time with them. So, but they also all know that I love to sit down and just code. I have been like that since they first met me, all of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess it's a common thing they see. Okay, their dad is in his chair uh, coding so that's where where they usually see it. I, I don't see see it so much um, any conflicts there. i mean when we have some uh, activity we want to do together we just, I just drop uh, the computer and we uh, we do something else together that said when i started with calva then i mean it got, got more intense and i had more like reasons to to sit down and, 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 and code, not just that it was fun, it was just that it was had users and people I needed to help and, and all that. So in the beginning, that was a bit of controversy, I guess. But that has since also like normalized. And I also found maybe a, a more healthy way to approach it. And yeah, so, so it's also, I also have adapted to it and it's not as uh, crazy maybe <laughs> as it was in the beginning. You mentioned that you, you're pretty good about just dropping your, your, what you're working on and then, you know, go be with your family and do, take whatever, take care of whatever you need to. Are, are there any things that you do, like when you're deep in thought and you realize, you know, okay, I need to go do something else now. Did you have any ways that you tackle that just dropping stuff and then having to reload all that context later? Yeah, that's a very good question. I guess one way I deal with it is that I know that if I don't find some kind of closure of what I'm currently doing, then I'm bad company. <laughs> so it, it's a bit, it's a bit, or, or sometimes I just ask for a bit more time. It depends on the situation, of course. Sometimes I just need to drop and just, you know, something needs my attention immediately. But very often, if it's, it's something that I can just, can I have five minutes or whatever and just like, close it down. So I guess that's my main trick. But I also never really see myself coming back to it and having any like start time there or struggles with picking it up. It's more that that I don't need it or want it to be the main thing in my head when I'm trying to be with someone else. So it's it's just more of interfering with, with me company rather than, because when I just pick up whatever task again or 
I go to GitHub issues and see what's most pressing. I just, um, that is never a problem for me to unpack stuff again and just start, start again with it. Does that, that uh, make sense? Did, yeah, yeah, it does make sense. Was there ever a time like previously in your software development career where you did feel like you had problems with dropping and picking up things again? Yeah, so professionally, that is that, that is a different uh, mm-hmm. story. Like if the, the workday is chopped up uh, and whatever, you know, it, it, you can't focus, have enough time to, to focus on a thing that, that has caused stress me. Currently, I don't have that in my, in my professional life because I have very few meetings and I just like, I just can work very focused for hours and hours. So but certainly I have been at employments and stuff like that where, where it has been very stressful with the chopping up of, of my day and then restarting, picking up the context again. Often, I mean, maybe you pair program and stuff like that, so then there are two people mm-hmm. who need to, to do the, the, the same thing. So it's, I think there you can be more or less smart around how you, how you arrange things to minimize that. But the stress is, I think, it's not so much maybe that it actually is ineffective, but it's, it's just that it creates, you want to have more bliss, I guess, when you work. Now that you can work in longer chunks of time, uh, and focus for long periods of time. Have you found that to be detrimental in any way? Like, you know, where you just, you really focus and you tunnel vision on a problem and then you realize, oh, I should have stepped away from this like two hours ago or whatever. Yeah, th- that is so often. I mean, when I stumble across a hard, hard problem that, you know, makes uh, resistance, <laughs> if that, I don't know if you can say that, but if I, I have still, I've been coding for so long, but I've still to learn to let it be uh, and, and just do something else because every time I do that, the solution uh, always like presents itself instead of me just, but I, I can't really, I, I think that is a thing with me. I can't really, I can't do that on like on purpose, drop it. I just uh, get, I get, um, I get so focused on it that I can't drop it and have peace. But that's something like that. Uh, I guess it is for me. So sometimes I, I, I'm, insanely ineffective for some hours just because I'm, I'm being an idiot uh, about try to, trying the same things all over, you know, over and over again and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah you've <laughs> mentioned a couple of times that concept of finding peace or finding closure when you walk away from a problem. Have you ever identified like a concrete thing that makes you feel at peace when you walk away from something that you're working on? Yeah. So I, I, that's, yeah, it's a very interesting question. I think it's uh it goes back to something with me. I need, with this closure thing, I need answers for my questions. And I'm a very curious person. So I have new questions all the time. And I, I, like, I have this, like, I can't die with all these questions. I just need to have them answered. So I, I follow up on them. And I think that's a similar thing I have when I'm into some problem. And maybe more with my my own, the problems I have formulated myself. Because then, then, then that's often driven by curiosity. I need to know. I need to know this. So it's, it's very, it's very driven. I think I'm, that is what, what you have picked up there. It's just this drive that I need. I need answers uh, for my question. If, if I don't get them, they are there and they interfere with me. So. Is, is that problem searching, is that something that's fluid for you? Or do you have an organized way that you go through and attack each issue or each feature that you go through? I guess it's um, very ad hoc for me, mostly. Sometimes 
I find this uh, scientific way to, to approach it. I formulate uh, the hypothesis and I and I investigate that. I guess I, I work like that more or less all the time in small chunks, but not when I'm getting into this idiot mode. <laughs> so then it's like I, dro- I drop all that and then just like bang on the keyboard. And yeah, it's more, and I need, I try a lot of stuff without having a real theory around what I'm doing. So it's, it, it's a bit, different between you know, between problems maybe but it's also i think more what mood i am in very often i can find this cycle of uh, testing something very in an ordered fashion and i from the results i actually get in new information and you know i can, I can continue and I, that is of course when when coding is the most fun when i really find that and at work today, this colleague that sometimes has helped me, and and he's so good at that. He's like, he's just like, stop that! And what, what is the? What are you expecting now, Peter? And you know, and he can just unstuck me for, from anything. It's, uh, that's so that's amazing. It's it's always good to have that extra person. Like like you called the idiot mode, right? And then you know, as soon as you said that, like it it made sense to me. I was like, yeah, I know idiot mode. I do idiot mode sometimes. And it's always good to have that other person who's there, who's very structured about things. And you know, sometimes they get to be in idiot mode, and you get to be the structured guy. And, you know, it, it works. And you know, the the general exploration. It's always it's always there. It's a great feeling to be there. So when you started working on Calva, what problem were you trying to solve? Like what made you just think, okay, I need to start working on this thing because otherwise I'm just not going to feel good about the state of the world right now. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a bit like, I like to tinker with, with things. So it's just like whatever it is, certainly when it's about software, I just need to like try to use the API and, and program the thing. So that's, that is like... It's, I'm not surprised that I do, did this thing. But the actual problem for me was that I wasn't working as a developer at the time. I was a product owner at the startup. And the tech team brought in closure. That made me very curious. And I saw the way they were working and the, the way they were getting feedback so immediately. And I mean, I'd never seen it before in my developer professional life before. So, so I. I grabbed the keyboard and, and, and joined more and more often. But then when I was not in that mob programming mood, uh, then I had only my small, very weak product owner MacBook 12-inch thing. And it couldn't really cope with um, either IntelliJ or Emacs. So I used uh, VS Code and I couldn't, the closure support for VS Code wasn't near what my, my colleagues had uh, on their Emacs machines. So, and I, I knew exactly what the first things that I, I mean, what I was missing most. So then I, that's how I started. I just added those few things to the best of the extensions that existed. And so I added the things I was missing and I sent the PR, but then no one was on the other side answering the PR. So then I decided to, uh, to fork that project and that's how Calva was started. So the, the actual problem was giving myself a development environment for this new love of my closure. So it was, uh, but then very quickly, people started using Calva. It was very soon after I had released it. I don't remember how soon when my, 
one of my colleagues, uh, the one who has like introduced me to Clojure, brought a cake to the office and said, Peter, you have a thousand users. <laughs> so that, that was very quick. And then the feedback loop started and I got addicted to hearing from users and, and speaking with users. I think that's also what's keeping me at it. It's just like, it's so wonderful to hear from users and speak with users. When you started, you said you did, you saw your colleagues using, I assume, mostly Emacs and yes, Cursive, yeah. and then you started working on Calva. Did you find yourself having your own way that you wanted to work with Clojure? Or was it initially like imitation? Like you saw somebody work in Emacs and you thought, okay, I want to work like that in VS Code. Or was there a balance between those two thoughts? Balance, maybe, but it was, it, I was super inspired by Cider. It's, mm-hmm. That's what it's called Calva. I don't know if you know that, but it's, you make Calva, Calva mm-hmm. from Cider. So that's how it's it got named. So, so very, when it came to the, like the mechanics of how to use the, the REPL and stuff like that, I didn't know enough about it to have so many own ideas around that it was i had to learn uh about it. So, so that was mimicking uh, i mean it's a super nice model you have insider so it's i'm super happy that that i brought that to to vs code but then i had i have and had my own ideas about like user interface and and, and the user experience so in, in that respect i i went my own path uh, a lot and i think to most of those decisions i took back then I'm super happy uh, about them. So it's uh, it has created a very approachable uh, way for if someone is picking up closure in VS Code or someone is picking up closure, it's a, I think it's a very maybe the the easiest one to to start with is Calva. You mentioned uh, UX and UI, and I know you have your own ideas about how you want your users to experience your software. Do you spend any time looking at other closure editing or closure environments? Like you know, Sublime Closure, or, you know, Cider, which you mentioned, or Cursive, or what's the other Vim Fireplace? Do you spend time looking at those just to see, you know, how are other people experiencing yeah. the closure world? Yeah, a lot. Um, so it's I spend a lot of my time watching like YouTube videos and stuff like people using other tools, mostly Closure, but I've also been like looking at Sean LeBron when he's looking like picking up these old Lisp interfaces and, you know, so yes, uh, certainly um, I just, I, I dig for that. I mean, it's, it's a really search. So it's, that, that is, I don't know if you have been uh, using Calva, but it has a particular strong power edit uh, in implementation. Mm-hmm. So that, that is like a, an effect of me looking at that and seeing, okay, so this is a mode that people have been working on with Lisps for in the 70s and you know that so i've been uh, finding old manuals and stuff like that uh, to, to see how to work and, and also some of the like the implementation of, of those so it's um it doesn't like stop with just calva or anything i'm just very interested in in uh, user experience as such it's uh, another hobby of mine if you i would i would say outside of development environments are there any products that you particularly look at and think that is a wonderful user experience. I I want that experience for my closure environment users. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you can mention, but, but I am a big fan of this small notes app in in macOS. So it's it's so simple. You know, it's just uh, you just I just started and I can immediately start 
t- taking notes. And uh, if I paste a link there, it does the right thing with it. And it's it's um, very not in my way, just like it's just like they're serving me. So, so that that is kind of the the big inspiration for me, trying to create that user interface that is never in the way. I'm not sure how good I've succeed at it, but it's it's my goal. So I mean, the Google search interface, it's also, also kind of amazing. I was there when they didn't look like that. Uh, and it was, it's just, it made a huge difference. Okay, so they just cut away everything. You just have this search entry. And so that kind of thing. So you just like, it's just like there and very quick to serve you. And that's what I'm trying to, to achieve. But it's also very, when it comes to tr- trying to support closure workflows, it's very, it's also very important to realize that one person's workflow is totally different from another person's workflow. So you can't really build something that just, you know, it's very streamlined for one workflow. You need to have, this must be much, must be much more general than that. That took me a while to, to realize because I was yeah, thinking everyone is doing it like me, of course. <laughs> but I guess I'm a bit saved there but by my interest in users. So I'm speaking uh, a lot with them. So I'm, I, I don't know. I, I think I might have close to a thousand different projects, closure projects on my machine. You know, so every time someone brings me a new problem, I create a new project and, or I get the project from them. And, you know, so it's, I've seen a lot of different approaches and also seen a lot of different, not enough when it comes to, to workflows. That, that's where I would like to know, know about more of them, actually, how, how people actually go through like the real workflow. I guess that's a knowledge gap I have, but I'm trying to fill it. Do you ever have times when somebody presents you with a workflow that they intend on using and then you experiment with it and then you think, no, this isn't good. (laughs) I need to teach people to do this a different way. Like, does that process happen to you? It happens. It happens. And I think, I mean, of course, I need to be careful. I guess when doing that, I mean, it's, I don't know the rationale behind what people have, but I think both me and Brandon Rinch, the other Calvin guy, are, are pretty good at balancing that. So since I've seen so many of them and I've been now been working with Clojure myself for a number of years, I, I, I do have some experience and I can share it and I can, can help people find uh, a tweak or something that w- would work better. It, it's uh, certainly that way when it comes to how you use the REPL, for instance. So it's um, I'm very often one to to say, oh, well, you should actually don't use the prompt there. You should try to uh, stay in in the file and you use a rich comment and you know all that. So it's, I allow myself to have opinions. <laughs> if I summarize like like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that reminds me of something that I was doing this morning. There's this new mode, a sublime closure for the sublime text editor. Yeah. And there, there is no REPL prompt. And I thought, that's a bold decision, you know, like <laughs> somebody's just finally just thought, hey, you know, I don't want people to use this thing. So it's just not going to be there. Like, yeah. has any radical thing like that crossed your mind? Yeah, it certainly, it certainly has. And there is another VS um, uh, code. Closure environment. It's called Clover. I don't know if you have uh, heard of it. It, it was uh, chlorine. 
on that on atom. I don't know about uh, chlorine, but the clover doesn't have a prompt either. It is just using it for output, and you can't use that for for entering code. So that has crossed my mind. But I th- I think I said just a bit earlier here. I'm also not one to to uh, wanna like. I don't know what reasons people have for for one or the other. So I like to give people that option. And also, actually myself, sometimes going to that prompt because it makes sense uh, to me. It's very, I need to just experiment a bit and have some history and and then then I go back uh, to the rich comments. So uh, not very often, but I do use the prompt myself at, at times. So... But it it is uh, it is also there and luring people in. So I would like to find a way, and I have also made it much less prominent uh, in the Calva interface. It was more like mandatory before. Now you can just close it and not use it. I mean, it's, that, <laughs> it's certainly a way. So it's it's a process. I'm not ready to be very radical about it, but it has crossed my mind. <laughs> You have a lot of user input coming in now, and you clearly have your own ideas based on you know your research and your thoughts and your experience. How do you reconcile those two things? Like, how do you balance between the users are saying this and this is what I want to happen, or you know, is there still you know a tug of war there sometimes in your own mind? Or I don't think there is much of a tug of war there. There's something uh, with. Calva users and I guess closure users, they are very nice uh, and so very polite. And no one is really ever telling me or Brandon that this thing should work like that. Uh, it is uh, very often just like, I'm trying to do this. Can I have this support? And I guess there also some experience from my product ownership and also why I became a product owner because this is interested in, in users and their problems. And I tried like to dig a bit what is the actual problem. And I tried to solve that rather than the solution that I might have been presented. So I, I think I'm good at often avoiding that uh, trap and maybe also in very quick giving feedback and, and pulling for more feedback and you know so then it becomes much more of a collaboration between me and the users in trying to find uh, how we should do it i really think that i need and me and brandon need to be the stewards of calva it would be making most of the users this i don't know the english word for it but it wouldn't be nice to them to let some user start to direct things. Some users that are not ready to shoulder the responsibility of Calva. So I think we're pretty good at uh, being clear about that it is our uh, decision where Calva is going. Still on the topic of users, how have you handled transitioning to accepting patronage, like donations from users or corporations or having uh, spare time provided to you. How has that transition happened to you, and how is it working for you now? Yeah, so that's a super good question. Like having spare time, like given to me, that was my mode from from the start. Because you know, when I started Calva, it was this that this this my my contribution wasn't even like considered, or someone was looking at. It. I promised myself. Calva should never be like that. It should always be open to contributions. So it we have 
tried super hard to make it easy to uh, to contribute. I think it's just like it's less than five minutes to add some tiny feature to Calva just before you have even installed this code. That has always been part of it. And in the beginning, I had to pull, pull a, a, a lot for it. Lately, it has been more of an inflow of, of help from, from Mopi. I think the repository, I think it lists like 70 contributors or something like that. So it's, it, is, uh, it is rather interesting to see how many people choose to contribute like that way. When it comes to like monetary <laughs> contributions, I had gone, gone through a, a process. In the beginning, I was like thinking, oh, it's so small. I mean, no one is interested in, in it. It's, it's uh, if I maybe I can get a cup of coffee, co- coffee every week or something like that. It's, it's just not worth it. And But then other people's users of Calva started to propose it. And, and I think for me, it started mostly with the closures together. So I was a user on, on the Slack, Calva Slack channel that several times came back, you should apply. And at some point I did, and that was a big change for how, my, how I approach Calva and my relation with Calva and also my family. So, because oh no, he's doing it full time now. And it's sort of, so it's, Calva became a different thing when, when that happened. And also it was kind of a long period of, of sponsorship. So I managed to put in some really big things, you know, and change Calva to a different project than it was um, before. So it, that, that was majorly in, in important when it came, to, it came to that. But that's then GitHub, this uh, GitHub sponsors thing available. And I just tried to, I just created an account there. And, and then people started to, to, uh, to sponsor me. So I have I have quite a few <laughs> sponsors. Uh, it's I have a goal of fifty. I'm not there yet, but it's it's and I'm super happy about it. I would I wouldn't have guessed that before. That you know that made me so happy. It's just like someone gives me ten bucks a month. I mean it's it's to me it's amazing. It makes me yeah it, it makes my day when that happens. It's so uh, and it's like a bit of a I'm a bit curious about that because. I'm not in this for the money. It's something t- completely different, like driving. I, mean, I guess most open source developers, it's the same. They just want to do it. And uh, then when someone else appreciates it and shows it in that way, it's, it makes me super happy. It's, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I know a lot of developers uh, like to show their appreciation by hitting you know, the, the donate button or similar to that. But... If there was somebody who didn't want to do that for some reason, what would, how would somebody best show their appreciation to you for the work that you've done on Calva so far? Yeah, there are so many ways. I mean, we list them on the wiki as well, but it's, uh, of course, just posting an, an issue, telling me something isn't working, suggesting something should work in some other way, actually providing code that makes Calva uh, better, fixing spelling errors in the documentation uh, and writing i think that's what i'm lacking most now when i'm look when i'm looking for information i have a google for for information about how to get started with closure and stuff like that i think that i see that um, that there is not very much content out there about calva and most of it i have created <laughs> so it's it's um, that that's certainly a super good way to, today to help show appreciation for the project is 
blog about it, tell people uh, that you're doing it and uh, why you're doing it. So that, that that is certainly one one way. There is also some people that not only like provide PRs and stuff like that, they also help in the Calva support. And most of my Calva time is like user support, I would say. I spend most of my Calva time in the Calva Slack channel in GitHub issues and, you know, trying to help users use Calva. So lately, so Brandon and I have been discussing that a bit. Maybe we should back back off a bit from answering people immediately and just see if, if we can nurture a behavior where users help each other. I never consider that, but that's too radical. I just love <coughs> speaking with users too much as well. So it's, I would never actually do that, but it, that has happened anyway. So some, just like, I can see that someone else is uh, doing the Calva support when I'm asleep. So that's super, that's maybe one of the best ways as well to help, help the project, just help other users uh, using Calva. So with the sponsorships, you got sponsored uh, by Cognitech. What was that like for you? Yeah, that was the most amazing thing that, you know, I read, the, I don't know where I found but a link to Rich's blog, blog post about it. And I read that blog post and I was like, oh, this is amazing, the, this initiative uh, that Cognitech uh, is taking here. And then I clicked the link to who was sponsored, and I found myself in that list. I just took my phone and I get, got into the kitchen where my family was, and I was just crying. I literally was crying. It, was, it made me so... I'm crying, crying now, thinking about it, actually. It's, uh, it was... Uh, yeah, I was... It was such a... It was a kind of a big amount of money that comes in monthly, so that's a big thing about it. But it was also... This comes from Cognitech. I mean, the creators of Closure. So it was like, I can't describe it. That was amazing. And I started crying. So that is, uh, I can still just be so happy about seeing uh, uh, that sponsor tag there on, on the list. And then, of course, uh, when it comes to sponsorship, I also have my current employer sponsoring, sponsoring me. So I can work one day a week paid by my employer with Calva. And that is, I have this, had this arrangement. So I got this employment since August, something maybe. And um, it's kind of new to me, but it, it is a super nice way for me to balance my open source engagement and my Calva engagement because I'm doing it daytime when I'm for a full day a week. That's how we have arranged it. So it's, I do it every Wednesday is my Calva day. And that makes a very big difference for, I can stress less about some things that comes during the week. I can take that on, on Wednesday and then focus on it. So it's, um, it's uh, that is super amazing as well to have uh, um, uh, Agical and my current employers and this patron uh, for, for this kind of work. And we're looking now, and they are looking <laughs> now at, how they can increase this. So we have been floating an idea because it's a, it's a small consultancy firm. So we sell project development and knowledge and know-how and, and, and doing. So I'm currently contracted by Pitch. And so four days a week, I work for Pitch and that's a closure house. It's living my dream in that way. I'm just working with closure uh, full time. And then one day a week with Calva. 
So what we then Agile is looking at, could, could we somehow like hire out Peter as a open source developer? So you just like on, on some kind of length of the contract, you say, okay, for three months, I hire Peter one day a week to work with Calva. And uh, so we're thinking about maybe that would be, be possible to then move to me working more and more with Calva and possibly some sort of kind of pipe dream there at, at some point, uh, be doing only that. It's a bit of a trick to pull off, but uh, we're looking at. So if someone is think that might work or uh, want to hear more about it, uh, very welcome to contact me. We can see how it could be designed somewhere. So you have you have a number of sponsors from users. You have, I would guess, what we consider a corporate sponsor, and then your employer. I have giving two corporate you sponsors. Uh, two corporate three. sponsors. Uh, Pitch is yeah. actually one of my I'm a corporate sponsors as well, and then Liftoff. Mm-hmm. So they beat uh, Cognitech to, mm-hmm. to to it. So that's uh, the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So so you do ha- you have these sponsors, and do you ever feel? And I mean this in a in a light way, not like yeah. a heavy way. Do you feel pressured, like if somebody like if somebody from Cognitech filed an issue, do you feel like I need to help this person a little bit more? Like, does that enter your head sometimes? If it was Cognitech, I would think like that doesn't have to do with the, with the sponsorship. But, but um, I'm a bit worried about that. I mean, so when, when I'm thinking about so people say, do, shouldn't you try to do this full time? I mean, I'm often pushing back a bit on that because I don't want, I don't want a situation where it is someone else's ideas or curiosity that is just like deciding what I should do that so that's what I love with open source programming I mean it's like I have this day work someone else can tell me uh, what I should do and I kind of love that as well but it's very different from me deciding this is the most exciting thing right now I want to do that and I do it and no one is so that is a bit of a worry but I also haven't seen any tendencies in that direction. No one has ever said, I'm sponsoring you, so I, I want you to do to this. I want return on my investment. No one has mentioned that. It's, uh, maybe it's just not uh, something I should be worried about. It, it is there. It's um, something I think about, but uh, so far I haven't experienced it. It's just still people let me do whatever I want with, with my open source time. As for a long period, like this 2021, I spent most of my time not on Calva, but I spent it on the beginner closure user experience. And so if someone has like been sponsoring Calva for some reason, and then, you know, I would break the contract if I switched focused for such a long time, that would be awful. But that's not the situation. I was allowed to do that and I could just focus very hard on on, on, uh, on that. And I think I managed to create a very good lacking um, piece of this onboarding of new closure users in, in that process. So it's uh, I think it's a blessing and I think it's much due to how the closure community works. It's, as I said before, it's full of nice people and you know, very, very polite. And, and everyone has, you know, everyone else is, best interest in mind all the time. So it's, it's, it's just amazing uh, to work. So maybe I think it's different in the closure community to be an open source developer than it is in in some other uh, communities. I have some insight in, into that. So it's not just like 
population. It's it's different with, with the kind of user feedback and the kind of way users and others approach you. And also like the support uh, you get, even if people are not my users. So it has been like when I started with Calva, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, it was like, you know, I, Closure was all new to me. I didn't know anything about uh, the, the tech involved, the land REPL, this REPL. I mean, it was just, yes, everything was just a mystery uh, to me. But still, I got all this help and all this encouragement and people just like, just cheered on. Uh, and we're, we're not just that, we were ready to help and give me information and, and, and speak with me, like on a peer level, even though I was just this newbie uh, guy who was there. So it was, uh, I think it's a, a, a different and a special situation to be in, to be an open source developer when you work in the closure community. Speaking of help, how do you split your time and delegate work with Brandon? Who does what? How does it get split up? Yeah, that's a very, a very good question. So well, I guess we don't spend so much time on, on figuring about that. We speak a lot with each other, you know, and, and and sort of get a common idea about what is the most important thing right now. And I think we both are like just driven from so this that allows me to pick up whatever I think is the most interesting and important right now and fun thing to do. I think the same thing is driving Brandon. He, he does the, the same. So that's, I think, most how the split goes. It's just that we assign ourselves to whatever we want to we want to do and we speak to each other about what what uh, we're planning to do and 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 help each other through it then it also have been like brandon has been sponsored by groceries together more times than i have i think so i have like spent like this focused period of time with some features so he is very like he added to to calva and he knows the ins and outs of that. So it's natural that when I read one of those issues that I just ping Brandon and, and then I can focus on something that I know better. So that's a bit like silos in the code base. He also is very, the guy who did most of the work with implementing the Closure LSP support in Calva. So he's, he's the LSP guy in Calva and he works then very closely together with Eric Dallow in, in this. I've been doing some of it, so it's not like it's clear cut, but anyway, it, it gets a bit uh, divided up from that perspective. I have been creating most of this REPL connection things and most of the structural editing stuff. So that's my domain in, in, in a sense. Then I, I just see when I read one, one of these issues, I always like understand them, right? So it's a brand might just have a bit of a struggle trying to get the context. So then he pings in me and then says like, maybe for good or for bad, but that's how it is. It's a bit of, of silos in, in, in the code base. Do you feel a strong sense of ownership of those portions of the code base? Like, like the structural editing, like you've mentioned that a couple of times now, it feels like you have a lot of pride <laughs> in that part of the experience. Yeah. Yes, I have. It's a, it's a pride and strong sense of ownership. I actually had to earn that ownership really the hard way. I wasn't one, when it comes to structural editing in particular, I wasn't the one adding the foundational tech for that. That was another Calva contributor that was contributing very focused with Calva for two, three months straight. And then he disappeared. You know, I added all this super cool tech and it was in my lap. 
and I didn't understand it. And it was horrible because it was uh, also not always working. It was just full of bugs and I couldn't. So I had like a parallel version of Calva that I was working on. And, you know, I saw this other version that, that my users were using. And it took me half a year, actually, to get back and actually be able to merge that stuff in. And I got some super good help from uh, the closure community in that as well, because people saw me struggle with it. So it was, that was a scary, very scary experience, but it also made me really the owner of this. So it's uh, that it's part of the pride comes from that because, because it was like an impossible situation I was in and I, I overcome it. So it's, um, it was amazing. Uh, in the end, I mean, so it was not amazing going through it. It was the opposite of amazing. <laughs> you mentioned you you work in you work in Closure about four days a week, uh, and I'm assuming you're using Calva to do that. Uh, weird <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> do do you still use a, a development version of Calva while you work, or a parallel version, or do you spend most of your time using the same thing your users would use? Um, yeah. So right now I have one branch of Calva, which is pretty okay. So that's special. But otherwise, generally, I use almost the same as the users, but just used it from like in the bug mode in, uh, in Calva for, for, for those things. I'm, usually I have maybe 10 different projects open in parallel. As I said, I get a lot of, well, helping Calva users, like I, I need to uh, have a lot. So I can only have like one development version, but I often use that for my work. So some, something happens, I, I know I can jump into the debugger and or the REPL and look at it. So it's that's mostly how, how I work. But this situation with that I described where I had some like parallel version of Calva, I have a bit of that now with with the branch where I'm trying to implement part of it. And a while, now that was a while ago, I thought I was like done and I released it and it caused a lot of problems. And I had to, to retract it and I tried to release it once more and I had to uh retracted so now i have this this um parallel thing that i i want to get in and i think it's telling me that i need i mean the quality of this of this ground tech has been deteriorating a bit too much too so i I probably will have to start in that end you know like refactor clean things up uh, a bit before i can uh, do it but that's a bit uh, of a pain to have that uh, uh, i know I have this, I don't know what to call it, thing, uh, lean people would call it like waste in progress. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just like no one can really, of course, people can take that branch out and use it, but it has too many problems in it to be useful. So it's, um, it's a bit hard, but um, I use that now and then to just try to understand the problem better. But um, mostly I use uh, this development version of Calvary that is like, very close uh, to what the users use because we release new version of Calva weekly or twice weekly or three times a, a week. So we never let like new value that has been added sit. Uh, we just release it, and so we release very often and try to work quickly like that. It's hard with this kind of project, I guess, to to be too um, hard on the quality assurance. We, need, we want quality in Calva, but we also want to get feedback on the things. So we have some middle ground there, I guess. It says reasonable quality checks, and then we send it out. And then we try to be super quick to fix 
problems that we have. So it's not like Facebook, they move fast and break things. We try to move fast and fix things. I guess that's uh, the difference in, the, in that. So, yeah. so that means that if I use the development version, I'm also very close to what the usage has. I think all developers or anybody listening to this uh, who makes things also tends to use the things they make. And I know from my personal experience, it's really easy to get distracted using something by like finding flaws in that thing. Do you feel like, you know, you're writing closure for, you know, a work project and you're using Calva and then something pop pops up in Calva and you just think, ah, oh, that's not right. I need to fix that. Do you allow yourself to get distracted sometimes or do you stay focused and say, you know, I'll deal with this Calva thing later? How does that work out for you? Yeah, so then this day, kind of a Wednesday I have comes in uh, into play, then I know I have the time to focus. So, so that has helped a lot in that. But also the answer is yes, I allow myself to get distracted, distracted now and then. It depends on what I'm doing, but often I just need to get some answers. I can't hope to fix this thing right now. I need I need to know a bit more about it. So I allow myself often to be distracted for the period of time it takes me just to, to investigate it a bit. And then I can put it away and say, I, I take that uh, when I have, I have some uh, focus time uh, and I can deal with it. Or maybe it just produces a GitHub issue or something like that. If I have, like, it depends on what I'm doing. If I have, like, I'm in the zone with what I'm doing, then nothing would, like, distract me, not even the Calabac. Then it's just like, then I, then I do this uh, thing. But, but very often I'm not in that mode where I... Where it doesn't matter so much if I if I like switch the context a bit, uh, so it's it, it depends, but it's hard. I, I I agree with you, and that's a price I guess you pay when you use your own stuff. I haven't thought about it that way though, but that, uh, consciously I've taken that risk. But that's what I do. Well, I think we're getting close to the end of our time here. We've been chatting, huh? and time's passed pretty fast. Uh, oh, is there awesome. anything that you would like to say before we we depart? Oh, is it? Yeah, well, I think we have covered covered most of uh, what I was um, thinking about when I was like picturing this talk. I would like to at least I will forget it, forget a lot of people. I would like to shout out to to some mm -hmm. of uh, the the current Calva contributors. So to like Mark O'Moraine, who has been so active and changed the testing story in Calva lately. That has been. Super amazing. I also have had a lot of engagement from, from Leif Erik Fredheim, who, who just like adds this enthusiasm for the project and brings back maybe some of the things that I felt at the very start for this. It's just like everything. Uh, this is so exciting. So, so, so that's also super, super nice. Thomas Breila, who has been like like hanging around the, to the project for a long time, you see you can see that he's a stayer and he's like he contributes not just with like code but with insights and you know we can discuss things together. So that's also super super awesome. And then lately also this young genius Lucas Domagala, I think it's it's pronounced, who, who like contributes also in this way with like really thinking about the user experience and the users of Calvin really having that approach, but he also has this deep tech knowledge. So he can take on uh, some issues that, that I haven't been able to um, really hope that I get enough time to, to do. So, that's, so I think that's also 
super, super amazing. I just want to, that, that I think was what was lacking from this uh, chat, just shout out to these guys. And I'm probably forgetting uh, some, some people, but thank you guys. Yeah, and thank you very much for chatting. It's been wonderful. I hope you and our listeners have a wonderful day. Yeah, I have had a wonderful time. And I hope you have a wonderful Friday evening, which is this year too. Our host this week was Robert Randolph, who is at Admiral B on Twitter. Episode cover art is by Russ Olson. Audio production is by Bear Cave Audio. The Cottoncast is produced by Jarrett Benford and Robert Randolph. The intro music is Crazy G, played by Russ Olson. And the outro music is by Nazca at nazcamusic.com. I'm Jarrett Benford. Please stay safe and healthy out there. And thanks for listening to The Cognicast. <laughs>